0: This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA Plus community media organization Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to elders, past, present, and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Fund, cbf.com.au, as well as from the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you.
1: Today, we're trying out something a little bit different. Instead of a weekly show, we're trying out The Informer on a daily basis, every weeknight here at six o'clock on Joy 94.9. We'll bring you the current official information on the COVID-19 situation here in Melbourne and across Australia. We'll talk about things that aren't the virus as well and talk about some silly things too, because life will still go on. It's an experiment and we'd love your feedback. So email theinformer at joy.org.au or check out our Facebook page. Thank you. Today is Wednesday, the 18th of March, and this is the Informer Daily. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Tonight, we have an update on recommendations outlined by the Prime Minister and Commonwealth Chief Health Officer. We also have specific advice from Thorn Harbour Health for people living with HIV. We speak to State Deputy Opposition Leader, Georgie Crozier, about COVID-19 and how we can help each other in our communities. What are critical utilities doing to keep services going during this crisis? We talked to one in the US to find out what they're doing.
2: We know that we're all in this together and our goal is to make sure that we come out of this on the other side together.
1: And we have an audio postcard of sorts to end the show. But first, this update. This morning, the Prime Minister and Chief Health Officer announced new measures to protect the public from COVID-19. They include a limit of no more than 100 people for non-essential indoor gatherings, a limit of no more than 500 people for outdoor gatherings, cancellation of Anzac day ceremonies, both here in Australia and abroad restrictions on visitors to aged care facilities, including limits to the number of visitors and restricting children from under 16 from aged care facilities, except under certain circumstances and restrictions on Australians traveling overseas here in Victoria. We now have 121 coronavirus cases. It's up 27 today. The new cases are made up of people from late teens to early 70s. Six people are recovering in hospital. More than 15,200 Victorians have been tested, and so far there are only two confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Victoria acquired through community transmission. An extra $6 million from the state government will be given to Victorian homelessness agencies to secure private rentals for those at risk of falling into homelessness. On top of the money, alternative pop-up accommodation will be found for homeless people requiring quarantine or self-isolation in Melbourne. If you suspect you may have contracted COVID-19 and you're in Victoria, you're urged to call the 24-hour telephone hotline on 1-800-675-398. Again, that's 1-800-675-398. Stop hoarding. That's the blunt message from the Prime Minister to Australians in response to the mass panic buying sparked by the coronavirus. Senior medical officials advise that bulk buying of food and other supplies is not necessary. And this morning, Australia's major supermarket chains also banded together to plead with consumers to be considerate of each other and to stop abusing staff. Now, here's Joseph Sunter from Joy News with an update for people living with HIV.
3: Here's the latest advice for people living with HIV from Thorn Harper Health, Living Positive Victoria and Positive Women Victoria. They're encouraging people living with HIV to take additional precautions in the face of the changing landscape around 2019 novel coronavirus. All three organisations want to ensure the ongoing health and wellbeing of all people living with HIV who are more vulnerable to COVID-19. This means minimising the risk of exposure to the virus. While everyone is at risk of contracting COVID-19, the consequences of infection are more severe for some vulnerable groups. This includes people living with HIV who are aged over 60 years old, living with a detectable viral load, diabetic, smokers, or those living with a comorbidity such as heart or lung issues. Those people living with HIV on treatment with an undetectable viral load and no other significant health condition, are at no greater risk of serious health consequences due to COVID-19 than the general population. That being said, they should still take the advice of the Department of Health in exercising precautions such as hand-washing, working from home where possible, limiting time on public transport, and avoiding large groups or crowded areas. Those people living with HIV who fall into one of the vulnerable groups listed previously should also limit contact with others to avoid potential exposure to people living with HIV. As a result, all three organisations will be exercising additional precautions to protect the wellbeing of people in our communities, including postponing regularly scheduled groups, meetings and events, using phone and video technology to deliver peer support and similar services, and making alternative arrangements for services typically delivered out of the Positive Living Centre. If you are living with HIV and are concerned you might be at risk, you should... Maintain regularly scheduled medical appointments, but consider asking your doctor about telehealth consultations. Ensure you have between one to three months' supply of any medications you currently take. Avoid stockpiling medications beyond a one to three month supply, as this could cause unnecessary shortages. Be wary of advice or articles in social media. Do not modify the medications you currently take or begin taking new medications without first consulting your doctor. Keep in touch with friends, colleagues and family via phone calls and video chat. Consider scheduling regular catch-ups. And stay in touch. Our organisations will continue to have peer support and other community support available by phone, email and online. This public health issue can be stressful, but our communities have a long history of staying informed and collective action to ensure we look after our health as well as the well-being of those around us let's keep this legacy going as we look after ourselves and those around us.
1: I spoke to State Deputy Opposition Leader and Shadow Health Minister Georgie Crozier about the COVID-19 situation this morning. Well, Georgie Crozier, you're the uh, Shadow Minister of Health in the Victorian Government, and it's a, also a parliamentary sitting week. Uh, what sort of things have changed for you?
4: Uh, good morning, Aaron. Yes, we are sitting, the Parliament is sitting this week. There is some important legislation that needed to be put through and we put through the vaccination, a mandatory vaccination bill yesterday uh, that applies to health workers. I think that's really important to get through, especially during this time when obviously the coronavirus is very uh, in everybody's minds. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's still a job for us to do as community leaders, as parliamentarians, but there are... Those that support us within the Parliament and some MPs that are not here uh, because they're at home, because they're unwell or they don't need to be here. So I think they are really good measures mm-hmm. and sensible measures that we all need to understand. So it's about reducing that exposure at this time. And um, But yes, the Parliament continues and I think that's a good message for everybody to say yeah. that we are here and we're still doing what we need to be doing on behalf of the Victorian community.
2: Mm.
1: And you're a member for the Southern Metropolitan District um, What, and I'm sure you get a lot of contact from community groups. What are some of the things that you're hearing? And-
4: um, well there's a lot, obviously the focus I think as you can appreciate it, is everybody is very concerned about what's happening with coronavirus so a lot of events have been cancelled multicultural festival events or um, community group gatherings things like that sporting events we all know that they've been um, subject to be cancelled so those things are having an impact and people are understanding i i I really believe that the community understands why they have to be cancelled or postponed to a later date but it's certainly having a big impact on many many events um across my region
1: yeah and with the prime minister's announcement just a little while ago um that events indoors uh, shouldn't have more than a hundred people outdoors up to five hundred is okay that's a that that's going to impact a large part of social life and also economic life
4: yeah massive massive changes to the way we have you know been operating and living our lives just a couple of weeks ago these are very significant but necessary um, changes to to how we need to be, as I said, operating and managing this um, health global health crisis. It's an emergency health crisis, as I think we all appreciate. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we can do this to reduce, to as they say, flatten the flatten the curve, um, then we'll have a greater capacity for our our health um, facility, our our health system to be able to cope.
1: What some of the most important things that people can do to help support the health sector?
4: Yeah, well, I really think that if everybody can just heed the advice of our medical experts that are out there giving us advice on what to do is the best thing people can do. It is about understanding that um, this is an invisible virus you can't see it so it's really hard to pick point where it is and that's why um, that medical advice about signs and symptoms if you're worried ring the hotline talk to your GP don't get a test unnecessarily if you you know don't fit the criteria but certainly speak to those medical professionals who can give you that advice and guidance And if you are worried, then just take the extra precautions for those loved ones, your your parents, for instance, support them, um, encourage them not to go out as much. All of those practical common sense measures that need to apply, Mm -hmm. I think if we all do that, then we'll be in a much better position.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, I think that's about all that I have questions for you at the moment. But is there anything you'd like to add?
4: No, Arian. I just um, thank you for the opportunity and, and, look, if if thank you for just sort of getting that message out and I think it's important that if we heed the advice and we take care of one another and support each other, stop the panic buying, understand that, you know, there is, that we will get through this, but it is going to be some time. Um, it's not going to be a matter of weeks. It's probably more likely to be months than just be Please be considerate, please be patient, and please look after one another.
1: You are listening to The Informer Daily on JOY 94.9. You can support our work by donating or becoming a member at joy.org.au.
3: Every bit help. Welcome back to The Informer Daily. In other parts of the world,
1: the COVID-19 situation has been much worse up to this point. But even when people are quarantined, they depend on utilities like water, power, and gas. In the United States, many early cases have broken out in the northern suburbs of Seattle. I spoke to Kale Thompson from the Snohomish County Public Utility District about what they're doing in this crisis. Well, Snohomish County is sort of the epicenter of the COVID-19 outbreak in the United States, or at least the greater Seattle area. Um, How's that uh, impacting the district's employees?
2: We've had to make uh, quite a few changes here uh, rather rapidly, too, in just the last week or so. Safety is our highest priority, though, for our employees and our customers. That said, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes to guarantee that we're able to deliver uh, critical power and water to our customers, especially at this time. Uh, Many of our employees are working from home right now, and all non-critical employees will be required to be working from home by the end of this week. Those who do have to be at work, those mission-critical employees, the people behind the scenes making sure we have enough power, for all of our customers uh, or out in our communities to repair outages when they happen. Uh, They are all social distancing at work at this time. In fact, we have an emergency operations center that we've opened here at our headquarters. Uh, I was down there this morning for a few minutes myself. Nobody was sitting within six feet of another person. And in fact, most people had well over that amount of space between them. Our mission critical people run a whole gamut of positions here at the utility. We have folks who obviously are out in our community repairing lines when we have outages. We have the people who are working in our warehouse to make sure that they have the material they need to repair those outages. We have people who work behind the scenes actually managing the amount of power that's flowing into our grid and out to our customers Mm -hmm. to make sure that we have enough to serve everybody. Uh, and, And a lot of that happens... Completely unbeknown to the customer at home. Most people will flip their light switch on, the lights come on, and they don't give uh, any more thought to it. Yep. But when the power goes out, you start to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. And those are the folks behind the scenes who are making sure that we're able to continue delivering reliable power to everybody.
1: Mm. And for those people like that are is social distancing now at work, that's also got to be kind of an impact on their families as well. How are you supporting those employees?
2: So we haven't had any employees who have needed to be quarantined at this time. And uh, as of now, we've not had any employees who have tested positive for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, One of our priorities as an organization, and not just a business, but a community-based business, a publicly owned business here, uh, is that we want to make sure that we can keep our employees and their families whole through this time. So many of our employees are able to work from home. Some of our employees are mission critical and are working here. And some of our employees, we realize, don't have the ability to work remotely but aren't mission critical either. All employees will be continue to be paid through this ordeal. We have made sure that we will help keep all families whole through this process.
1: What's the impact for customers?
2: The impact to customers has been relatively minor so far. And in fact, we've had very positive responses from the public. We know this is a challenge for everybody, but... Safety does come first for us, and because water and electricity are critical services for our customers, we're not going to disconnect people at this time. Like I said, we are part of this community. We live and work in this shared community, and we know that wouldn't be right, especially for our customers who are financially impacted because their job is put on hold until after all of this passes. That said, because many of our employees can work from home, because we're taking steps to make sure that employees who have to be at work are safe, we're still able to continue providing most, if not all, of the services that we usually do. Customers can still call for account and service questions, and those who are able can make payments so that they don't fall behind. Customers can also still report outages, and we can still get out into the community and make repairs. We're trying to offer as much normalcy and certainty to our customers as we can in what is a very unusual and and uncertain time for them. Um, We know that we're all in this together, and our goal is to make sure that we come out of this on the other side together.
1: Right. And you're in an area that has the potential for earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanoes. And every once in a while it snows and everything has to shut down. Has that experience (laughs) really taught you some valuable lessons about contingency plans and that you get to rehearse them?
2: You know, we are very fortunate that we have not had a major catastrophe here in quite some time. But we've had some uh, smaller um, emergencies that have certainly cropped up in the last few years. This year alone has been busy. In January, we had back-to-back winter storms that dropped snow and caused a lot of outages here in our area. um, For a region that, surprisingly, does not get a lot of snow typically that was a good practice run for us i think leading up to this it forced us to begin thinking outside the box in terms of how do we respond as an organization if our employees are unable to get to work because of uh, conditions. How do we assist our customers who are without power and for whom we might have difficulty getting to? We have cases like that that happen once or twice a year in terms of weather related events. This is a whole new ball game for us, though. We're drawing, though, on our past experiences, to help us get through this new experience. And in fact, we have an existing pandemic response plan that we've never had to utilize. But the fact that we were prepared years ago and drafted something like this has given us at the very least a framework on which to begin to build our response. Hmm. It's uh...
1: sorry, it was really early for me. I was up quite late. Um...
2: Oh, well, that's all right. No, not a problem. It's, <laughs> it's been so busy here. I'm just trying to make sure that my thoughts are organized and coherent for
1: you. No, no, you're great. Um, yeah, so it sounds like that planning has been really helpful for you. What about uh, things like uh, cash and checks, which are still really popular in the U.S.?
2: That's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the big changes that we've made. We've closed our offices to the public just in support of public health. Yeah. We realize that customers coming in, we don't want to put them at risk. We don't want to put our employees at risk. And so we've closed our uh, payment centers uh, in, our, in our lobbies, in our community office. still have other ways to pay, obviously online. But for those who prefer to actually pay in person, we're working with them to make arrangements. We've asked them to call our customer service teams, and we will work with them to make arrangements. I think what's important to remember here is... Safety comes first for us, for our employees, and for our customers. Uh, We are committed to providing them with reliable service, and and we realize that we are in this together as a community.
1: And that was Cale Thompson from the Snohomish County PUD speaking to me early this morning. This is the Informer Daily on Enjoy 94.9. Welcome back to the Informer Daily. To wrap up our show, I'd like to do something very different. We're living through an emergency, and sometimes it's quite scary. But other parts of life go on. Yesterday, I spoke with my friend Michael Katrupi about his garden and what it means to him. And a trigger warning, there's a lot of parrots in the background. What does your garden mean to you?
5: Um, I think, more than anything, my garden means a sense of sanctuary, because it's a part of My home. I've always seen the place that I live, regardless of where that is, as a place that I can go back to after being outside, being in the public, being around people all day, talking to people all day. Often having to put my own stuff aside to help them get what they want or help them get what they need in a certain situation. And I come home and I want that place to be relaxing. I want that place to represent me and I want that place to be an outlet for me where I can reflect, dream, play, explore, and all without limitations of what the world expects me to be or wants me to be. And it's also a real connection to... My mum and my family and my growing up because we had a massive backyard and I used to spend every weekend, every Saturday, um, in the backyard with mum and helping her clean the backyard. So I used to hate it because I'd have to operate this leaf sucker, which was (laughs) petrol um, powered. And so it stunk of like two stroke petrol um, and I used to hate it cause it was really hot and it was all bricked and it was a beautiful garden and I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but it forced me to get out into nature, even though nature was confined and constructed. Where did you live? Um, so I grew up in Earlwood in Sydney, which is the inner West, um, outer inner West. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, lots of people get that confused.
1: Um, It's—I must admit—I'm guilty of that. Every opportunity I get, just because I like the way you react.
5: <laughs> My mum collected a whole bunch of orchids, outdoor ones, indoor ones, and um, a garden. The garden was a big passion for her, um, and I guess orchids are a very, ex- typically, a very exotic um, plant and I often associated them with tropical kind of climates or things like, I mean, they're essentially kind of succulent things. They, they attach onto other things and grow from that. They have aerial roots. Um, so they can, they survive often in very humid climates. Um, so things like Singapore, Asia, um, Places like that. I didn't realise that we had native orchids in Australia, which are very different. They're still orchids, but they look very different. And it made me think about the orchid as more of a broader kind of... um, A broader class of plant, rather than just that flower that I've seen growing in coles or woolies or, you know, that beautiful um, lipped flower... Um, But all the orchids that I have are all cuttings from my mum. So I tend to have more (laughs) success with orchids that grow outside um, because I I think I, well, I know I hate humidity. So (laughs) having orchids kind of counteracts their needs versus mine. So I always try to keep orchids in the bathroom, but they just never end up surviving. But outside they do really well. My knowledge of gardening and garden keeping has been um, an oral tradition that's been passed on down. Um, I don't think that any of that happened in a way that was planned or structured, but I think that that's what happens with most things that we grow to or begin to love. I have been told by a few people that I should look into getting into horticulture um, and gardening and maintenance and do all that sort of stuff and the more I think about it it appeals to me but then I think I'm actually that's not the part of it that I really enjoy the part of what I enjoy is the tactile nature of being in the garden knowing that you have to wait till things grow you can't force them although I do try by putting grow lights in but um, I have various success, success with that but there's a certain amount of patience which I don't naturally have that a garden forces me to slow down and I I've No matter what size garden I have, whether it's a tiny balcony or, um, you know, a kitchen garden or whatever it may be, then there's still the same amount of tactile nature, of reflection, of slowness that I have to give myself. And I think that's more the purpose of being in the garden for me rather than trying to perfect any particular method or aesthetic or anything like that.
1: Would you say that your garden is an important part of your mental health? I mean, we're listening to helicopters heading toward a hospital, jets, parrots, the twice a day parrots.
5: Um, it's adding intrinsic part of my mental health. My home, my space that I occupy that is existing only of me in my form that I mean, it sounds so wanky, but the form of me that is pure of judgment, pure of criticism, pure of praise, and just in a space of being and in a space of being vulnerable, where you can be open to the world, open to ideas, open to things, but you do it in a safe space. And I think everybody can understand the desire to... Do all of that in a space that is safe That is intrinsic to my mental health And my garden Is a huge part of that Any green space Any space that is Natural In a built environment Is intrinsic to everybody's Mental health No matter their background, race Nationality, ethnic Social um, Economic perspective Whatever it may be we all need that touch with the natural world because we're not engaged with it every day as we should be. That
1: was Michael katrupi and about four flocks of parrots speaking with me yesterday. Thank you for listening to The Informer Daily. I'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, suggestions, whatever. What do you want us to talk about? You can send them to theinformer at joy.org.au or on our Facebook page. We'll read them and work to improve the show. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Mahalo.
0: The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Fund, cbf.com.au, as well as from the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you.